0: Hello, everyone. This is Jay, and I wanted to give you a message before we get started. Two messages, actually. One for old-timers and veteran members of the Luck Club, and another for new listeners who may have just discovered this podcast or are just now joining us on this journey. For those of you who have been listening since episode one, from the very first cymbal, snare, beat, and zip-flash, zip series intro, you'll have noticed that I have these pre-intro segments before I begin the show in earnest and officially welcome everyone and call the meeting to order. As I've said before, these were not part of the plan. I was just supposed to say, Welcome back to the J-Luck Club. Let's get the show started. But somehow I started playing around with things and, quite frankly, having a bit too much fun, making myself laugh or trying something new and expressing some thought or feeling in some unique way. Whatever the reason, I didn't expect to go down that road— Interesting. I chose that metaphor because there is quite the parallel between this podcast journey and travel. Setting out towards a destination, but having unexpected yet joyful experiences along the way. But somehow this is where I ended up. As much as I thoroughly enjoy creating these intro bits, it's okay. I know many of you are totally confused by them or just skip them altogether. But at the same time, I don't want to become trapped by the structure. I don't want to feel I have to come up with something new each week and spend several hours thinking up, preparing, often learning some new skill or tool or something, spending hours of prep of what will ultimately just be a couple of throwaway minutes. So my point is, I, I think I'm going to stop with this segment. I, I'm declaring that I don't have a pre-intro segment for you today. I'm just not going to put something out prior to the start of the show. Well, okay, I mean, there's this, this thing that I'm doing right now that's before the start of the show, but you know what I mean. That's, that's it. Nothing more. A message to new listeners. Okay, hold on. I know this is I said nothing more and I'm still continuing, but this is kind of a continuation that I told you from the beginning there's two parts to this. Doesn't count. Okay. A message to new listeners. First of all, welcome. I'm thrilled to have you join us. Whether you knew it or not, you have become a member of the JLuck Club. I am pleased with the addition of new members each week and touched that you have chosen to spend your precious time with me. If this is your first episode, however, while you are more than welcome to start your journey here you may want to start back at episode one so you can get caught up with the first six episodes. Um, Of course, having said that, I do realize that six episodes, 25 to 35 minutes each, yeah, that might be about three hours of your time, and hmm, you are already here. Um, Okay, so maybe I can give you a quick recap, uh, kind of give you a quick recap of what's happened over the first six episodes. (laughs) Oh boy, this was exactly the kind of thing I, in the old days, I would have done a pre-intro segment on. Uh, I would have spent a lot of time coming up with some creative. No, I'm not going to do that anymore. Not going to do make a big production of it. Just going to kind of and let you know what happened in the first six episodes. But uh, um, wait a minute. Okay, one last time. If you're new, let's review how this American man Teaching in Japan end up in Do Let's go back to Japan where I stuffed a pack And I said I'm gonna travel for as long as I can Caught a plane, spent a couple of days in Seoul Just a quick layover, then I had to go To Bangkok where I stopped and I made a decision To take a break and a pause and honor my transition My adventure tendencies, not choosy about amenities I soon was doing as I pleased and oozing with serenity Did some planning and some tanning and I got some things in order Then I hopped on a bus for that Cambodian border By compounding my fate I smack a bit of luck I found some awesome new mates In the back of a pickup truck Angkor Wat My heart was open It blew this man's mind The killing fields My heart was broken As I knew that landmines And war and terror Had plagued these people Colonial foreign powers Proxy wars To say nothing of the Khmer Rouge Which is pure domestic evil Pol Pot slaughtered the country And left a void With all the culture and history And progress he destroyed The years of misery The souls he took If you don't know your history, then go read a book. CM Reef, gotta go. We said goodbye to my friends. Headed south on a boat going to Phnom Penh. Volunteered, and I spent three weeks with the kids of the peaceful children's home. Let me tell you what I did. We taught classes, played games, painted rooms where they eat. We played soccer in the rain, enjoyed mud with bare feet. We shared stories, we laughed forever. I'll treasure these souvenir moments gone, but will last in my memories. Last day, visa done, gotta run, not walk. Got myself on a boat, then a bus to Bangkok. Urban life and chaos may not at first seem pretty, but it was during the stay I fell in love with that city. Met my friend, took a trip to a gorgeous island. Waterfalls, motorcycles, and endless smiling. Life is good, and the beach, it's a great atmosphere. But I got another project where I volunteer. Need a ticket for a plane, now tell me where can I find it? Travel agency barbershop? Weird, but I don't mind it. 20 years ago, I was an English teacher. Today, I'm podcasting for Honey Roasted T shirts, sharing my stories, telling you things I recall. Let's get back to the show, let's get back to Nepal. Welcome back to all of you great members of the J-Luck Club, presented as always by Honey Roasted T-Shirts. My name is Jay, and I would like to formally call this meeting of the J-Luck Club to order. First order of business, I'm going to waive the reading of the minutes, is to say a big thank you to all of you. I've received some really nice notes and messages, especially from some people with whom I haven't been so good at staying in touch. I realize the podcast is a time commitment. I could have posted a few pics online and maybe a short blurb, and in a matter of seconds, you could get on with your lives. But taking the time out of your already busy schedules to listen to me, well, I am grateful and I wanted to let you know. I really appreciate it. If you're listening to this, you likely already know me, or we have only a degree or two of separation. In general, the spectrum is from, you've known me since the day I was born and changed my diapers, to, we met more recently and. Mostly our connection is social media-based. So, whether you knew me 20 years ago when I took this trip, or if you didn't know me then and are still getting to know me, I appreciate the feedback and kind words. Feel free to reach out through the ways you normally connect with me, or drop me a line at the Club at honeyroastedt-shirts.com. I'd like to share a few of the comments I've been getting. Here's one. As I listened, I realized your voice is still the same. Interesting. I never think about how the voice changes or doesn't change over decades of time. Here's another comment. I don't remember your voice sounding like that. Hopefully that person remembers who they were talking about. Maybe they confused me with someone else. Here's another one. This one from a very good fr- dear friend of mine and a college roommate. Jay, as a reminder, when I received your emails 20 years ago, I took the liberty of obtaining publishing rights. Please cease and desist from using these emails and in general talking about your travels. Oops. And finally, here's a comment. Unsubscribe. <laughs> so keep those comments coming, folks. I appreciate them. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll automatically get new episodes as they are released. You can also check out the JLuck Club to get all the episodes. But if you want a little bit more, check out T-shirts.com where I post a few extras. Some pics, some posts, and a few notes on each episode. In case you don't have time to listen but want to get the Cliff's Notes version, so if I call you up and ask you what you thought of the show, you can fake a reasonable response. I have another double header for you today two emails that just seem to go well together. When I wrote these email updates two decades ago, I didn't do so with a mind of making them fit into nice 20 to 30 minute audio log episodes. As you'll see today, one of my emails covers a couple of hours my arrival in Kathmandu, Nepal, whereas in a future episode, I'll have an email that covers months of my journey. As I've said before, there was no plan or vision for this, but here we are, and I'm sure we can get through this together. One more thing I need to get off my chest, because I want to be as open and transparent with you as I can. I started to say something in the last episode, but it was only later that I realized I never reached my point mostly because it wasn't until after the episode I realized what my point was. So I want to talk about the dates of my emails. So for two episodes in a row, even though I promise you I do actually prepare for these recordings, it wasn't until I was actually reading the email and recording that I realized the dates were wrong. I don't know how I missed that when I was rereading the emails before the recording, but on both occasions, while I was saying the actual date, I realized that's not the right year let alone the month. Now, the reason for this is not surprising. The email address I used 20 years ago has long been since abandoned, and I had to collect my emails from other sources. And in some cases, there was some forwarding and maybe some copies. And well, there was definitely a mix up somewhere. Now, I pride myself on accuracy and authenticity. Trust me, when you're hearing those street sounds outside of Bangkok Internet Cafe or uh, in Cambodia, I'm actually getting a clip from that country. I've even fact-checked myself plenty when preparing such an episode to make sure my memory hasn't been warped too much over the years. So I plan to dig into my journal and track down the day when I may have written something like, went to Internet Cafe, sent out update, or something. But in one case, I just wanted to get through the recording and forgot to get back to it. And in the other, I realized that even if I'd found the right date, it may have been accurate, but it may not in any way have actually helped paint a picture of my travels. Remember how last time I was talking about by the time I would sit down in an internet cafe to write up my latest mailing edition? It may be six weeks later in a completely different country. So telling you the date is the end of October when the content of the email is something that happened in mid-September may not really matter. Or maybe it does, but we'll find out soon enough because the situation I just described is literally what's about to happen. My point is, dear listener, I will strive to be accurate and authentic as much as possible but forgive me if I fudge or skip a few details when they really aren't the point. So now I take you to an internet cafe in Kathmandu, Nepal. Date, Friday. October 27th, 2000. From Jay Schneider. Subject, Call Me Jack. When we last joined together in peace and love to hear more of my continuing travel ramblings, I was landing in Kathmandu. And now as I type this, I am in Kathmandu. So what happened in the past six weeks? I'm sure you spent every moment of every day wondering just that. Well, let me tell you. But first... It's never straight to the point with me, is it? I'd like to welcome two newcomers to the list. One is a mother, mine in fact, and the other is a mother-to-be. It's not mine, I swear. I'm glad my own mother has returned to the cyber world with a new email address, and as far as the expecting mama, I'll let your minds go to work and the rumor mills spin as you scan the two and CC list. (coughs) Cat fuck crying out loud. Hang on, wait. My mom is reading this. Cat-frickin'-man-frickin'-scooby-dooby-doo. That's supposed to convey my enthusiasm and excitement for the Nepali capital. After safely, er, after landing in Nepal, thank you Bangladesh Air, and getting my visa sorted out, I stepped out of the airport and found myself looking at the expected sea of touts, all shouting and waving at me, guaranteeing me their hotel was both the cheapest and cleanest place in all of Nepal. They yelled, screamed, begged and pleaded, and waved signs of their establishment's name. Kathmandu Guesthouse. Himalaya Hotel. Welcome, Jay Schneider. Wow, what a great name for a hotel. That's kind of... Wait a minute. See, the neat thing about doing this volunteer work is just when I'm trying to figure out what my next move should be, there's a car and driver waiting to take me where I need to go. I grab my friend Mar. He's a Japanese guy with whom I shared a room in Bangladesh. 35 years old, looks 20 nicknamed Mar because he likes to smoke marijuana, travels a lot, lived in New York for a while serving at UN functions, an acupuncture professional. And we were on our way to the Tamel district of Kathmandu. After checking in and settling in, we headed out onto the streets with no purpose and no direction, just to get out and about. And that's when the magic of Kathmandu took hold. See, cat-friggin'-man-friggin'-scooby-dooby-doo above. I was instantly taken by the energy, sights, and sounds. I was ignoring the smells for the moment. Perhaps because the culture is Hindu and not Buddhist, it seemed new to me. The chaos and the pollution I'd seen plenty before, but the colors and the architecture and the life of the various neighborhoods we wandered through totally absorbed me. Then we noticed every window was filled with eager faces looking out, and the corner shrines were now filled with what seemed to be an audience. They were waiting and watching for something. Then we saw it. Huge wooden floats, pulled, pushed, and steered by 30 to 40 men coming our way. The gigantic floats could barely squeeze through the cramped streets, and every so often, for no apparent reason, they would turn of their own will and glance into houses and storefronts before being laboriously corrected by its attendants. Point of advice, try not to be standing in front of those houses and storefronts like those two fools who just got off the plane. Don't worry, we're okay. The second float came much larger. How could that be? And grander than before. And before we knew it, actually, we honestly didn't know it until later that night, we were staring at Kumari, a young girl who is Kathmandu's very own living goddess. As luck would have it, the day we arrived happened to be the height of a three day festival in which Kumari, I think she's about nine years old now, but I'll check on that, is paraded around the streets. During this festival, certain statues and sculptures are open to the public for view. As all this happens only once a year, our timing was perfect. We continued to weave our way around neighborhoods, darting in and out of alleys on a whim, at one point being handed, as in literally from hand to hand, some vegetables and and rice flakes. Not wanting to disappoint, I downed my handful of curried potatoes, spicy, with a smile, much to the delight of the watching crowd. As Mara and I sat on the roof of our guesthouse, looking at the full moon above, I had a warm feeling of satisfaction fill me. That, or as well on my way to dysentery from the less-than-hygienic serving I had eaten earlier. Okay, though I've only told you about six hours of the past six weeks, I need to go and answer some individual emails now, so I'll start with one from Dan P. in California. Dear Jay, I've got a title suggestion for your travel updates. How about how my life is infinitely better than yours, you pathetic losers? Dear Dan, (laughs) ha ha ha, that's kind of you to say, Dan, but really I'm sure everyone on my list, with the possible exception of Jake, who sells tea, is perfectly happy with their own lives. It's just your life that is pathetic compared to mine. Thanks for the advice, Dan. Keep those comments coming. Jay, I swear I'm not the father, Schneider. Hmm. Interesting that I noted adding my mom to the list because I'm sure I did not go three months without communicating with her. Sure, I often disappeared for weeks on end, but come to think of it, I'm not sure I've told her about this podcast. Maybe I'd better give her a call. I mentioned Dan and Jake in the comments at the end, and for the record, Jake did email me to let me know he in fact loved his job selling tea and he was not at all miserable. Though a year or so later, he would quit his job and travel Europe with his partner, and I believe the email address he had was something like, I'm in Europe traveling while you're stuck at work at your lame job at hotmail.com, or something like that, so, well, you be the judge. And as for Dan? Well, stay tuned. He plays a critical role in a future episode. Without them, there may not have been a J-Luck Club. But let's talk about Kathmandu. I loved Kathmandu. I spent a couple of days after my initial arrival, but would spend several days there towards the end of my time in Nepal. So I had a lot of time to explore Kathmandu Valley, Kathmandu, Bhaktapur, Patan, and it totally drew me in, and I understood why so many travelers were drawn to it. The architecture and the colors, and it just felt different from the Southeast Asian landscape and cultures I'd been in in the past two months. And I'll confess that while I love beaches and oceans and warm climates, I do love me some mountains, and a city at elevation with a rich history, mysticism, as well as a magnet for mountaineers and adventures gave, well,
1: yeah, it was just
0: a great feeling. There are worse ways to spend a day than to get lost in the maze of alleyways and shops, examine the detailed temple carvings, fun fact, some of those carvings are erotic, visit a temple or UNESCO World Heritage Site, and be awed by the surrounding mountains or just sit drinking tea on the square and watching the people in the world go by. Visitors have flocked to the city for decades, adventurers, mountaineers, and trekkers, people on spiritual journeys, some looking to find themselves or, quite frankly, to lose themselves. If you listen to my journal extras, I referenced a book I read called Seasons in Heaven. In my journal notes, I did not give it a great review. I don't know if that's a fair assessment since it's been 20 years, so maybe a reread would give me a different take. It's a number of first-person accounts of people who had come to Kathmandu decades ago, freaks, hippies, counterculture folks. And as I said, my recollection was the tone of some of the contributors had an air of self-importance. But even at that time, it gave me a lot of context and appreciation and understanding of how and why Kathmandu has been a magical magnet for decades. Upon arrival, I quickly discovered that myself. And who knows, maybe years from now, some young kid will listen to this podcast and not take too kindly to this out-of-touch old man talking about travel and purpose. Under any circumstances, I think arriving in Kathmandu would be exciting. But good fortune was upon me and my new Japanese friend as we happened to arrive at the height of the Indra Jatra Festival. So walking into the unknown streets, searching for nothing in particular, we found ourselves in the midst of a -a once-a-year celebration. Setting our new arrival excitement aside, there was already a palpable energy from the crowds of celebrating locals. Seeing the massive floats and chariots which seemed to barely fit into the streets and the throngs of spectators which made those roads even narrower and and suddenly being face to face with the living goddess Kumari. Okay, well not literally face to face because we were at street level and those floats were pretty tall. Well, all of that gave us quite a mountain high and not one caused by altitude or the readily available marijuana. Then again, maybe those potatoes I was handed were laced with something. Seriously, I want to talk about that for just a second. We were wandering the crowded streets of festival goers, and a smiling man carrying a bowl of mished-up spiced curry potato and vegetable dish reached in, grabbed a handful, and literally handed it to us. I think Mara and I just took a a half-a-second pause, looked at each other, and then, you know, you have those moments where you're just all in on life. This was definitely one of those nights. We stuffed the potatoes and vegetables down, much to the delight of the crowd around us. I guess in short, I highly recommend Kathmandu as a destination. Of course, as with any place that has been well-traveled for decades, it can be a Disneyland circus of tourist traps and shops, but as with any popular city in the world, it's not too hard to step a block away and explore an entirely new side of the city and discover what the city really has to offer. It had only been a few hours since we had touched down in Nepal, but later that night, Mar and I sat on the rooftop of our guesthouse staring up at a full moon marveling at what a wonderful place and world and and life that this is but dear listeners there are two sides to every coin there's a yin to every yang every rose has its thorn and honeymoons come to a close sometime okay i'm drifting a bit let's just say the next day well that initial shine of Kathmandu started to dull a bit to tell you more about it let's go to another internet cafe in Kathmandu. Date. Okay, I'm totally skipping this date. It was probably like a day or two after the other email. From Jay Schneider. Subject, you don't know Jack. So I seem to have a bad habit of dropping little comments without ever getting around to explain them. For example, I never did tell you about all the circumstances surrounding my fun with firearms in Cambodia. And in my last message, Call Me Jack, I failed to tell you what it was all about. Oops. Kathmandu's spell wasn't broken on my second day, but its glimmer was slightly tarnished as I was having difficulty tuning out all the city's inevitable detractions. I'm accustomed to the pollution, chaos, and aggressive hawkers trying to sell their wares and services so I can usually tune it out and enjoy the positive aspects of the city. In the morning, I wandered contentedly the maze of alleys, courtyards, and explored the various temples and religious monuments. But as the day wore on, so did the countless numbers of people approaching me with the hopes of parting me with my money. And I don't mean shop owners or pedicab drivers who seem convinced that my walking deliberately towards a visible and definite destination is body language for, hey you, I need you to take me 10 meters, and I'm willing to pay absurd amounts of money for it, so please, please come over here and harass me. These don't actually get on me as a simple no or my preferred method of plain ignoring them eventually solves the problem. What began to get on me, by the 20th person or so, was the one who would walk up alongside, start asking questions as if he were genuinely interested in my friendship. Hello, what is your name? Where are you from? How long have you been in Nepal? I'm a student here. Do you like Nepal? Yada yada. And ending 10 minutes later with me saying, I don't need a guide, I'm not interested in exporting precious gems to Thailand, and no matter how many times you ask me in the next several blocks, I'm not going to buy your drugs. Namaste. Again, such are the ways of travel in Asia, and I generally don't have a problem with it, but I prefer those who are more direct and to the point. Taxi? You need guide? Hashish? And whether I ignore them or politely decline, we can both go on about our daily lives. The people who use the friend approach begin to annoy me, because apart from wasting time for both of us, It means I have to behave counter to my human instinct, which never wants to ignore another chance for human connection or to totally disregard a man's plea of, excuse me. This is a little depressing. But the day rebounded well. I headed back to Durbar Square to see if much would happen on the final night of the festival. While sitting in the square, a Nepali man approached me. We started a conversation, and at no time did he ask me to export gems or buy his opium. In fact, he bought me a cup of tea. He worked for the Nepali National Department of Forestry, and and we chatted up about the state of Nepal's natural parks, talked about festivals in Nepal and the language. It was a great way to end the afternoon and restore my faith that not everyone is out to sell me something. As our conversation ended, I was shocked to hear shouts of, Jay! My reflexes readied me for the inevitable near-riot chase through the city streets with an angry mob at my heels. I've had nightmares about this until I recognized the voices as two friends, my fellow English teachers from Japan. I was surprised and amazed that we would run into each other here, but I quickly quelled that feeling and realized that things like this happen in travel and in life, and that's what makes it so cool. More in a bit, I promise to speed things up as I've oozed about two minutes out of six weeks. Jay, come to think of it, I do want to pay $20 for that plastic bracelet you're selling, Schneider. Okay, so there was a reason the subject line of the previous email was call me Jack, and this one was Jack is back. Stay tuned for the third in the trilogy, You Don't Know Jack. But much like that grenade story tease in Cambodia, I never got around to it, except for those of you listening 20 years later. So in keeping with that tradition, I won't explain the Jack reference here. Not yet. So my first full day of exploration in Kathmandu was a bit frustrating. Sometimes a night of fantastical love is met with a different reality the morning after. As a traveler, you become quite accustomed to those who see you as a target and a source of revenue. And as I tend to love to generalize and make broader points, this isn't exclusive to travel by any means. This also happens in cities and towns in which I live, and you learn to handle it gracefully. And also, it's not that you can make sweeping claims that an entire people is out to get you. It's just that there are some who will see you as a target, and when you're an obvious visitor, as in the case of an American backpacker in Nepal, it's easier for the matchmaking to happen. I was not annoyed by the shopkeepers or taxi drivers or even the people approaching me on the street with a direct sell. Those are clear proposed transactions and can be easily entertained or dismissed, not wasting anyone's time. I was more bothered by the pretext of somebody approaching me as if they really wanted to talk to me as a human hello, I'm a university student, where are you from? But it's really just a long lead up to a sales pitch of some sort. The optimist in me is hoping for genuine conversation and connection. The realist in me knows it's likely going to end in asking for money. Again, this is not unique to Nepal. In the U.S., when that guy in the convenience store parking lot walks up to me with a gas can in his hand, my first thought is, I wonder if he's going to use the I'm late for a job interview or my wife is in the hospital angle to try and get gas money from me. And that first morning, it was the frequency that got to me. I started the day so open to this city that I had instantly fallen in love with, and when in the span of an hour, literally an hour, I had already been approached on no less than eight separate occasions by a university student just wanting to talk and eventually getting to a story about how they need money for something or another, it was extremely disappointing. Ultimately, I had to just shut down. Through the crowded streets, I would see the person out of the corner of my eye. I'd see them spot me and lock in and start their approach. I'd keep walking, they'd start to ask, where are you from? And it got to the point where I just ignored them. One guy even said, why are you ignoring me? Why do you not even respond? And it was sad that I had to get to that point. The first few were easy to deal with, mostly because you expect you'll have some interactions like that. In one case, early on in the process, the pitch came that the university student wanted to practice his English and give me a tour. He even said, if you don't like it, you don't have to pay me anything. Ha. Because I was still in an open and giving mood, it was early. Even though I was content to explore on my own, I figured I'd do this kid a favor. About five minutes into the tour, I realized this was just not anything worthwhile. I didn't even have high expectations and was happy to be generous if this was a true learning experience for the kid, but he was clearly just not even trying to tell me anything. So I said, thanks, but I think I'll end the tour. Again, being in a generous mood, I offered to give him some money for his time. It was only five minutes, remember. I don't remember the amount I offered, possibly the equivalent of a dollar or two, but he got angry and said it was insulting and I should give him four to five times that. At this point, all diplomacy was off, and I reminded him that he said I didn't have to pay him anything. To which he said fine, and I started to walk away. Then he came up to me and said it was bad luck for me not to give him anything, that even giving him one rupee would be better than nothing so I gave him one rupee. This type of experience is a part of life in general, and you can often tell the moment you get a call, an email, or somebody walking up to you as a friend that it's just a sales guy ready to sell you something you absolutely do not need. And as I said before, when you're a visitor, you are usually more easily spotted in the crowd, so it may seem you get targeted a higher percentage of the time. Sometimes certain touristy areas will mean more frequent and frustrating encounters, and also being a solo traveler probably had some effect. I wonder if I would have been approached less if I'd been a part of a group, or would have been approached the same, but it wouldn't have gotten to me so quickly with other mates who could share the burden and take turns deflecting bad offers. And because I love to repeat myself, none of what I said changes anything about how wonderful Kathmandu is and the amazing locals I met and how they treated me. And yes, I talked about being a solo traveler, but I'm also a solo male traveler, and I didn't have to deal with some of the harassment that some independent female travelers I met had to endure. But I will say it was a frustrating morning to have nonstop hello can hello-can-I-be-your-friend conversations, which were just setups for a sales pitch. But I was able to enjoy my first day in Kathmandu and definitely subsequent days. And given it was festival time, I was able to see some places that normally are closed the rest of the year. Seriously, it was only on my return visit to Kathmandu when I wondered why certain carvings and statues were closed off, ones that I'd seen before. I realized that that's how it normally was. I was just lucky to be there on the day they were open. And that afternoon, as I sat on some steps in Durbar Square, a Nepali man started that conversation with me, and it was a genuine and real conversation. We talked about his job in the ministry of forestry, and we talked about the Nepali language and the festival, and we just had a great conversation. No sales pitch whatsoever, and in fact, as I said, he bought me some tea. I'd already declared the day a good one, my faith in humanity restored and feeling love again for this city, as I sipped my tea and enjoyed the comfortable September evening. When I heard my name being called at a distance, I looked across the square and on the steps across from me were Adrian and Mike. For those of you who have been following this series from the beginning, you may remember that my first night in Bangkok, I stepped out into the busy street and immediately ran into Mike and Adrian, two fellow English teachers I had known from Japan. At this point, it had been several weeks since we had gone our separate ways, but here again we were reunited. I thanked my new Nepali friend, wished him well, and made my way across the square to reunite with my friends. It was great to see them again. They asked me what I'd been up to since we last saw each other, and then they tried to scam me out of money by selling me a tour. Okay, maybe I'm misremembering that last part. It was kind of a blur of a day. So my parting story, appropriately enough, is about unexpected encounters. I had many of them throughout my travels, but of course, it's something that, when it happens at any time in life, can conjure up feelings of fate and chance and serendipity. Note, I'm focusing on meetings with people you want to see, though I suppose the same odds would apply to people you don't want to see. It just comes with an entirely different set of emotions. This feeling is heightened when that meeting takes place in some unexpected location or some other country altogether. It happened a lot in my travels to run into someone I hadn't seen since we were in some other country. Remember when I ran into Ina in Bangkok and hadn't seen her since CM Rip? Now, to be fair, even though we were spread out over many countries and thousands of miles, the fact that travelers are going on similar trails does increase the odds of meeting up. Still, it's always a joy to experience. Even when not traveling, when I've had that experience of, say, running into a friend on a train car, and I think of how I or they could have easily just boarded a different car and our paths wouldn't have crossed, Come to think of it, chance encounters often make me think more of how many times I haven't connected with someone that may have been only a matter of miles or meters apart. These days, with everyone so connected on mobile devices, checking in online and social media posts, it's a lot easier to make these connections happen. In fact, not too long ago, I was in Amsterdam in my hotel at the end of a long day, scrolling through social media, and saw a post from a friend who I hadn't seen in 20 years. She was living in Germany, but her family was in Amsterdam on holiday, and. Thanks to the wonderful world of technology, we were finally able to meet up after all these years. Anyway, since these magical meetings can take place anywhere, anytime, and that's what makes them so magical after all, the chance encounter I'm going to share with you didn't take place on this trip, but rather a couple years later. I was living in Arlington, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. I was a corporate and technical trainer, which means I was teaching classes on anything from computer skills, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, web design, etc., to business skills, project management, effective presentations, leadership, management styles, etc., and would do this in our company's public classrooms or, just as often, go out to different companies and organizations to do the training. Note, this was a great gig for me. I'm from the west coast of the United States, growing up in the Seattle area and going to school later and living in California, so the D.C. area and the whole east coast of the United States was entirely foreign to me. With this training job, I was constantly going to new places, getting a look inside of different companies, industries, government agencies. Teaching at the Secret Service compound was fun because I found myself saying things like, oh, sorry, this is the intermediate Excel class. Automatic weapons and explosives training is down the hall on the left. Yeah, thank you. Have a nice day. Anyway, it was a way for me to continuously explore and experience new worlds and cultures. I was still an explorer and adventurer, but I was in my own country and wearing a suit and tie. Anyway, one day I was scheduled to teach an effective presentations class at the Nature Conservancy, which I was really excited about because I could literally see the building from my apartment, so the commute that day was going to be a breeze. After setting up the room, checking the equipment, and preparing my board, the attendees came in and we started doing introductions. I looked around the room, and a couple rows back, I saw a familiar face. It was Adrian. Sometimes you never know when you're going to run into that familiar face, But when it does happen, it's magical. Side note, it is so cool in front of an audience to be able to say, Adrian, last time I saw you was in Kathmandu. As cool as it is to run into friends, acquaintances, and loved ones by chance, as awesome as those unexpected encounters can be, guess what? You don't have to wait for these chance encounters. You can make a deliberate act to reach out to people. Make that choice. Connect. Think of someone you haven't talked to in a while. Reach out, drop them a line, give them a call. Yes, it may be magical to have an unexpected encounter, but perhaps a conscious decision to connect with a friend might lead to a powerful and positive unexpected result. As evidence, I present this to you. Not too long ago, I reached out to a friend with whom I hadn't spoken in some time. She told me she was planning a trip to Thailand and possibly Cambodia. I told her I would happily share some of my experiences and advice. Then I went to track down some of my emails. I found them. There was no easy task, but I'll tell you that story on another day. And while rereading those emails, I noticed the dates and realized the 20th anniversary of that trip was upon me. And well, next thing you know, the J-Luck Club podcast was born. So don't sit back and wait for that magic to happen, people. Live actively and with intention because then when the magic comes, it will be far more powerful. Thank you, as always, for listening to the J-Luck Club, presented by Honey Roasted T-Shirts. For pictures, extras, and other notes, please check out honeyroastedt-shirts.com. You can find this podcast there, but also on iTunes and the usual places you find your podcasts. Please subscribe, and I'd appreciate a great review. Feel free to drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. You can do that through however you usually contact me or send an email to Club at honeyroastedteachers.com. On our next episode, I finally catch everyone up on my two-week volunteer camp, helping a village build a well and an irrigation system. Scrambling up and down the hillside village every day, I also learned that flat is something Nepal is lacking. But that didn't stop me from writing a song and singing the praises of rice and lentils. If you listen to this podcast, or if you've read the emails or visited the blog, Or maybe I told you about that time I was celebrating my birthday naked in the Malaysian jungle with a pair of Pikachu rattles. Well, you just might be a member of the J-Luck Club. Thank you for staying tuned to journal extras. Okay. Read a few notes from my travels. None of this will be on the exam. No pressure to remember any of this. September 13th, Mar and I go exploring. My first impression, Katmandu is so cool. All caps, lots of exclamation points. Wander with no purpose through Tamal in direction of Durbar Square. As luck would have it, there's a festival. Streets packed with onlookers. Every window filled with eager faces awaiting what we did not, awaiting what we did not know. Huge floats on huge wheels, being pulled by thirty or so men, rolled down the narrow streets, constantly in near miss with buildings. At one point, me, again luck being on our side, the second or third float carries Kumari, Kathmandu's very own living goddess. Earlier, smiling Sadu dotted my forehead. He claimed it would bring good luck. Then he asked me for one hundred rupee. Bakshish? The day has gone well, so I'm sure it was worth the 20 rupee I did give him. Bikurishita. Maul runs into a friend from Japan in Durbar Square. Tell you, those chance encounters, they are magical. Back to Namche Guesthouse. Roof, Mara and I enjoy the full moon. So, so, so cool. So glad I'm here. September 14th. Up, see Maul, but decide to go it alone. Head to Durbar Square. The good vibe of yesterday still strong, with the intent of sitting down reading my Lonely Planet and exploring. Not so easy, constantly approached by friends, ready to guide me, yada yada, no peace. I begin to lie and tell them I've been here a week and I've seen and done it all. Walk all over Tamil, Kathmandu, temples, sea carvings, shops, festival preparations, ooh, erotic temple carvings. Mike and Adrian are sitting across the square. I was surprised, but quickly chalked it up to what's bound to happen in travel. That's life and that's oh so good about it. We catch up on the past several weeks. They went to northern Vietnam, did some trekking in Nepal, and next week are going to Cochang to meet up with Ava. Ooh, stay tuned for a future episode. We hang, look for a festival happening, and go have tea at Himalate. Uh, September 15th. Day to take care of business. Browse the bookstores. Purchase Touching the Void. Buy some sandals. Also buy some boots. Thought it might be a good idea. Also pick up some rain gear, just in case. It's pretty cheap, too. And then I do some emails. Oh, yes, lots of emails. Moll and I agreed to meet for dinner. Work camp meeting at 5 p.m. Ooh, I'll stop reading here, because that's how it's getting into next episode. Thank you very much for sticking around. We'll catch up next time. Don't worry if you didn't hear this, didn't listen to this, didn't pay attention. None of this will be on the exam. Namaste.